0: Good morning. As was mentioned before, today's uh, scripture reading is from James 5:19 through 20. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Good morning. Let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, as we move into the message based on these last words of James and as we wrap up this long series, we once again ask that your word would be powerful and your spirit would speak and that we would be listening to your word and your spirit. Father, we know sometimes we need encouragement, sometimes we need prodding, sometimes we need conviction. Whatever we yield to you, and ask for you to teach. Speak through my words, may they bring out your text, and may I not wander from the truth. We give you this time in Jesus' name, amen. Spiritual search and rescue. We're talking about going after people who once had a profession of faith, but now have changed through deceit or wandering. I was at a church Sunday school picnic many years ago when I was a teenager. In the mountains above Boulder, where my father pastored. And everyone was having a good time until they discovered that a little girl, I believe a three year old, was lost. So the mother frantically looked and did not find her daughter um, with her husband. And they looked around some more and could not find her. And you have to understand this is in the mountains above Boulder, and so it's a rugged area. And so they called everyone together, and we gathered around the picnic area in a circle and fanned out from there. They are going to blow a whistle when they wanted everybody to come back. Everyone was nervous, looking for her. And for 10, 15 minutes, we spread out like this before we heard the whistle. We all came back. You want to know where that little girl was? Under a picnic table behind a cooler where none of us were searching, we had all gone out. She was within. But none of us regretted, did we, doing this search just because she was hiding, because a three-year-old is valuable. And the only thing more valuable than our health would certainly be our souls. And this is what we're talking about today, spiritual well-being and our common responsibility to one another When one of us is in peril, we see first that there is an attitude that James wants us to have towards sinners and heretics. And it's not an adversarial one. We see this a lot in Scripture. Um, We're told that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, that means against people, but against the spiritual powers and authorities. These people are not our enemies. And so even though people may disagree with us strongly, even though they may live different lifestyles, does not mean that they are our enemies. And James, of course, talks straight. And he talks about a lot of things that were wrong in people's lives. And so it's not like he's afraid of morality. But the way it's applied, of course, he always wants us to do it graciously in how we talk, not as if we are perfect ourselves. And so we see the proper attitude here that he sees us with a responsibility towards someone who has not yet realized the truth or someone who has been deceived from the truth. And those who have the truth have a responsibility to tell them, just like my brother, when they were serving ice cream cones at the Sunday school picnic, he ran a quarter mile to find me so that I could get one too, because that's the responsibility of a good older brother, I really like that about Dave. I think I would have been on my third cone before I even thought of him. (laughs) So learn from Dave, not from me. The proper attitude toward people that are in their sin and not believing. Um, We also see that James is talking pastorally as he normally does. And we saw at the beginning that he was not trying to contradict salvation, you know, by grace through faith. Faith. But he's going to say that that type of salvation that comes by a gift of God, and we receive it only through faith, not through works, will transform us. And so similarly, he's talking now in a pastoral way, and he's not trying to nail down all the things. And so we'll have both the Calvinists and Arminians look at this differently, but they'll all do the same thing. And we'll get to that in just a bit. Um, In fact, I might as well cover it now. Uh, Donald Burdick, in Expositor's Bible Commentary, this is what he writes um, on this passage. Since Scripture teaches that once a person is regenerated, he can never be lost, that's a Calvinist view, it may be assumed that this hypothetical wanderer is not a genuine believer. Okay? Now, if we take somebody who's an Arminian, they say he's someone who wandered away. But both of them think the person's at peril. And both of them send people out. James doesn't even get into it. You understand that? He just says our responsibility is to go after the person. So however we add it up theologically, our responsibility is when someone doesn't look and act like they're a believer, is to go after them to bring them in and to bring them to Christ. And so that is what we are going to look at today because that is James' emphasis on the pastoral side. So we see here, first, the spiritual wandering. Let's take a look at that itself. If any of you should wander from the truth, or if one of you, and then a little later in verse 20, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering. And so we have this word to wander. And of course, this word to wander is a metaphor. Um, We're not actually just looking for people who have wandered away. (laughs) I was a chaplain and a vice president at a hospital at times, and we had people that wandered, and that was a problem. And, you know, uh, you had to try and put tags on them so you could find them and stuff like that. We had a guy that actually stole three red cars who lived in one of our nursing homes. Because he had a red car. And so anyone in North Dakota where no one locks their cars and almost no one takes their keys out. I thought, everybody thought it was weird when I took my keys out of my car when I went there 30 some years ago. And, you know, so he'd get in, he'd see a red car, get in there, turn the keys, and he'd drive 40 miles to his farm. At least we always knew where to find him. That's wandering. This is Metaphorical spiritual wandering. They be, may be right next to us. It is possible that maybe they were going to church with you. Maybe they are in your small group at one point, and now they're not. And so there can be some proximity, but what we're talking about is they may still be working right next to you, but they're not in the same place spiritually. And we can call it wandering because it's getting off of the right path. You know, wandering, if you're trying to wander, is an okay thing. Understand? Um, You have to be careful. I had a couple that uh, would go on vacation. They just We just drive and wherever we end up, we're there. Well, they tended to go in circles and they didn't get to many different places. And so eventually decided they would plan a little more of their vacations after seedy hotel after seedy hotel. But wandering, yes. But when you're on a path to somewhere and when there is good, you don't want to get off the path. You really don't want to get off the road when it's snowing, do you? You want to be driving in the ditch and get stuck pretty quick. And so wandering is a perilous thing. Wandering gets off the place where people are, and so it gets into dangerous territory, typically. And so in their day, as in ours, often you'd go on the highly trafficked areas, especially in places that could be dangerous, because if you're around a lot of people, then it's safety in the numbers. And so wandering gets you into danger. That's why the metaphor is teaching us something. And so we see here that there are problems through deceit. If one of you should wander from the truth... Okay, so one type of wandering is from the truth. Maybe it comes, by the way, we think that so much of our beliefs come through well thought out things in our mind. But I think if you look at it more, um, a lot of times our belief comes through other things like our hurts and our pains, our fears dictate our beliefs, and certainly our actions. Phobias are such strong fears that they control us or prevent us from doing things that we'd normally do. And we see how powerful they are. And so we have to be careful because sometimes we define the truth based upon our life experience instead of stepping back and looking at it and understanding it intellectually. And so some people get depressed and then it... Affects their thinking. Some people have a tragedy in their life, and then they say, where was God? Even though the Bible promises we will have trouble in this world, not freedom from trouble. And so it is more an emotional thing. And so there are people that are deceived from the truth, and there's people that wander into sin because they want to do something they should not do, or they don't want to do something they should do. Um, somebody else is doing it they think it looks cool and they get into it but people wander for various reasons in Genesis chapter 3 I'm going to hop skip and jump through the first six verses and so these are just different pieces he said to the woman the serpent did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden and then a little further, you will certain, not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. There's deceit, right? Half-truths, little things like this. And that's still the way sin works today. It will prey upon our desires. It'll prey upon our fears. And it'll pluck away from is God really treating you well? Does God really care for you? And so people will wander. Sometimes it is selfishness or compulsion, sometimes it's ticklish ears. Um, A man came into a church I served previously. And uh, he told people that he was trying a whole bunch of churches. And he told them before he came in that he was looking for a church that told him the way he was living was just fine. And he had not found it yet. And my good friend Bruce said, well, I've looked at the topic of the sermon today, and you may not find it today either. I was teaching on depravity. The brokenness of the soul. Our universal need for God and emptiness and spiritual deadness without God. You know, that guy became a Christian that afternoon. He went there wanting to find something that said, everything you're doing is fine. And then he said, no, this brokenness rings true. I'm broken. This makes a whole lot more sense, and he let the truth in. But he'd left his church because of that. He didn't go to our church, by the way. He went back to the church he'd left with coaching from someone in our church. But I thought that was very powerful, that we realize sometimes we define truth by what we want, and we wander. So there's wandering, and we all have to be careful of this wandering. And we have to go to God with our concerns with God and with life and listen to Him and talk to other people. Now the spiritual intervention. We see that also both in verse 19 and 20. Second. My voice is a lot better than last week, but we'll keep it lubricated here. If someone turns him back, the one who turns a sinner back. And verse 20 Notice I have the new English translation here Instead of NIV Because I want the more literal translation Here as we're talking about it When we get a little further um, I've told various stories in the past About when I used to compete with um, Orienteering races I was with a map and compass Now you guys say, map and what? You know, you got your GPS And your phone now And everything tells you where you are um, but we would have a map and compass and they would then give us a route and we'd have to use the map and compass and we'd have to get to each place, collect the you know, the thing to show that you had been there um, and then arrive at the final place as fast as you could without making mistakes. And uh, I was on a team that was all full of athletes and we saw the course record, we came back and the leaders were not supposed to correct the teens If they did something wrong, you're supposed to just let them figure it out. But after we finished the course, one group went literally 180 degrees away from when they should have been starting. And we're in, you know, the mid-range mountains in Colorado, and uh, they were heading up into the high country, and there was nothing up there. And so they started and we had just gotten back and they knew that we were probably the most likely to catch them because we had track runners and I was, you know, back then a world-class volleyball player and ran 30 miles a week. And so they said, can you go and stop them and bring them back before we have to call out search and rescue? Okay, so we ran them down. By the way, they were going to the high country. They were going uphill and it was like this steep. So we caught him about half a mile, and, you know, my heart was about 200 beats a minute, and we were just finally catching him there. The other guys were lagging behind me, and I got up there, and I tried to convince them. They were thinking for sure I was trying to deceive them. You're our competition. You're the ones we're trying to beat. And I was trying to convince them, no, that my motives were okay. And finally, when the other, my friends got there as well, I said, just lay down your map and show me what you did. And let's just see. Let me just walk you through it. They laid down their map. They did that, and they had the compass. They had not oriented their map to the compass. And so their map was turned around backwards. That's exactly how they were off 100%. 180 degrees they needed to be turned around they needed to orient to something different and this is what we need and that's why we see the literal if someone turns him back and this is a word for turning someone I know it says bring in other translations and yes by implication if you turn someone back you often do bring them back but the emphasis here is on the turning that we go to them to get them off of the wandering and to turn them in the right direction. And by the way, I do understand that the further you walk the wrong direction, the longer it takes to get back to the right. Anyone who before their phones had GPS on that drove 200 miles the wrong direction on a highway can testify to that. Anyone here had to make up a good amount of time on a wrong turn? Yes, And yet, that turning is the solution. This just means the longer we've wandered, sometimes the more pain we've brought into our life and those around us. Okay? That's why the metaphor is important to keep here. We want to turn them. It doesn't instantly fix things always. Okay? But it starts you on the right course to the right place. And one day God does wipe away all the tears and all the consequences of our forgiven sin are one day gone. In this life, we have to bear with them. And so the turning is pivotal and important, even if our wandering left scars. And so we go to try and get them to turn back toward God and what God wants. It's always pointed toward Jesus and submission to him. But to do this, we have to care about people. We need to get out of our comfort zone. The other thing we have now is we can change our TVs with our phones. Don't even have to fight over remotes anymore. You can battle your phone versus the remote. Okay, yeah, I see some of you have done this. I remember this first came out. This was 15 years ago, and one of my friends got a new watch that could control his TV, Ooh, I was pretty slick 15 years ago, I was longer than that. It's been 20 years since I've been that, year. 25 years ago it was. And, and he would love to do it because he would enter the codes into his little watch and then he'd go over to your house and then you're sitting there watching football and all of a sudden there's a soap opera on. It'd drive people nuts and he's just sitting there checking the time. You have to care enough to get up, though. You have to care enough to get up and get out of your comfort zone for someone. And so caring has to be the motivation. When you see people out there, you can't just say, oh, they're getting what they deserve. Oh, they hurt me, so I'm just going to let them go. We often do that. We have to care about their souls, even if we've been hurt by them. And there's people that do some pretty heinous things and hurt us pretty deeply. Can we still care for their souls? Even while saying that what they did is wrong and heinous. It's important to care. And we have to go then. We have to get up and go after. We have to dialogue. We have to listen to these people. You see, this is not just like street preaching where you get up there and say, you're going to hell. You know? No, this is a dialogue. You talk to them, you listen to them, you earn the right to say something. Do you know that the people who are the best at sharing the gospel, whether people have wandered or whether people have never heard the name of Jesus, are people who ask a lot of questions of people? And the people I've led to Christ are almost always people I get talking And sometimes when it's a doubter, say, well, why do you no longer believe in Jesus? I want to hear your story. We dig into it. We get them talking. And eventually, it is your time to talk. But when we wander after these people, a lot of these people are bitter and angry, and that's why they're wandering. A lot of these people have been hurt by other people, and you have to let them get the poison out. And so we have to care enough to go, and we have to then listen as well as talk. And then, sometimes people are turned back. I've had the unenviable task, one of the parts of being a pastor. There's some great things about this job, by the way. If you knew that they pay me to study the Bible, I'd say, ooh, that's a pretty cool thing. But sometimes I get to confront people. Sometimes it's because I'm a pastor. Sometimes that's just because I'm a friend. Sometimes I have to go after the people who have wandered you know you never can do it like this though you just can't do it because i've need to be confronted before and it's not easy and i've seen time and time again when i came to people and got them talking that they really wanted to come back and so i've seen a lot of wanderers return Turning back to God. Spiritual benefits when somebody turns back. I know this is obvious stuff, but He wants us to know it well. This is stuff that is repeated in Scripture because it's so important. We need to keep it in the top of our head and on the top of our hearts. We'll save His soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So if we are able to turn someone from their wandering course, from going here, and turn them back toward God, there are some wonderful benefits. Now, I know there's some debate over whether all of these benefits are just for the person that we're going after. The reason for this is this is almost certainly a partial quote from uh, Proverbs 10:12 12 that uh, Peter also quotes in 1 Peter 4, 8. Let's read those. And so you'll understand that last phrase covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs 10:12 is where this root comes up the first time. Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrongs. Okay? That's the proverb. And Peter quotes from this as well and says, "Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins." This is just a translation. Of that. And now James is saying that if we bring back the wanderer, we'll save their soul from death and also alludes to this proverb, we'll cover a multitude of sins. And so clearly it at least means that we are going to be dealing with an eternal soul coming back to God or coming to God for the first time, depending on whether your leaning is that you can't lose your salvation or whether you can But somebody that is truly wandering, not just wandering a little ways, but deeply off and no longer believing in Jesus. When we get that person to believe in Jesus, that is a change in destiny. That is a profound thing. And we're talking about not physical life here. You see how clearly he says we'll save his soul from death. They may still die. Early on in the AIDS crisis, we didn't know what to do with that. We'd quarantined the people back then. I was involved in some hospital ministry at that time. I led somebody to Christ who had AIDS. He still died. But I still think his soul was saved from death. Even though we did not know how to cure the disease then. And so when we walk through that and he came to Jesus and he confessed his sins, I think the better thing happened, the best thing. His soul was saved from death, even though medicine had not come to a point and even though God did not choose to miraculously heal him. the way, he was about 80 pounds at the time he came to Christ, so it would have been quite a miracle. I was praying for it, would have loved to see it. But there's something even more important than those physical healings, and that is a soul that has a different destiny. And I and several other people just tried to pour into his life, and as a result of all of us doing that, we saw a good response. And then this covering a multitude of sins, that can just be a metaphor for forgiveness. Um, But if we take it from Proverbs, it seems to be more generic covers up your sins, and while you're doing it, you're not sinning. That's sort of the whole idea with Proverbs. That while you're about God's work, instead of going off into sin yourself, you're doing kingdom work. And so the fact that they're quoting from this, they may be talking about the double meaning here. But it certainly covers over their sin and their sins are forgiven. It certainly prevents that person from continuing on their course and sending more and hurting more people. And so if we can take somebody who is violent and dangerous, we can stop them. All future sins are taken away, right? And also, if we go back to that proverb, while we're about this, this is a good ministry. We're not focusing on feeding our lusts when we're searching out someone else. I think it is vague enough in this quote. It actually means both here. But there are spiritual benefits for going after those who are wandering and for going after those who do not and have never heard the gospel. We see some other things about this as well in Scripture. I'd like to read you a few more verses Matthew, Jesus talking, 22, starting with verse 7. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So this love to go out, whether first time to bring somebody to Christ or to bring them back from their wandering, this is the center even of Old Testament teaching, not just New Testament. And then in Romans 13, verse 8, the Apostle Paul says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Forever loves has fulfilled the law. That means you can never, like, pay off the debt to love one another. And Jesus said that when they'd look at his followers, they would know them by their love for each other. Ooh. Boy, I've been in churches where you didn't know that church by their love for each other. I see a lot of love here and stuff like that. I'm not trying to step on toes. But, you know, my ministry has gone into churches that are broken trying to turn them around. This is the healthiest church I ever took. And it is a hard thing where people are really not liking the person next to them. Let me tell you a trick. You don't have to like the person next to them. You, you have to love them. <laughs> you can dislike them all you want, but swallow that dislike and love them like Jesus loved me when I was unworthy. While we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And to learn that we can partake of that same spirit of Jesus that sent out in his name the Holy Spirit of God, that is powerful. Romans 13, 10, then, just a, two verses later, love does no harm to neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And so this loving and seeking out, this is not an easy work because you will get people who are disillusioned, angry, and blaming. But it is a good work to do. Our final point before our application, who should seek out the wanderer? Um... If someone, this is actually the same that's translated earlier in be anyone, just the same words, and so it means any of us, anyone. The invitation is for all of us. Um, this is not just professional work, but uh, it's for anyone. All believers are responsible for the lost and for the wandering, and uh, also, I would add to this, especially those who are relational and have discernment gifts. Some of those who have the gift of evangelism, some of those who have the gift of discernment that can help people work through the deceit and other things. Especially they. So you say, I have that gift. I have strong relational gifts. I can listen I have discernment you 're qualified to specialize in this we 're all supposed to do it, but you 're one that can really go after people because they need an ear as well as a voice, and also especially those who know the wanderer. One of the things i 'll tell you in my years as a leader in the church and then growing up as a child of a pastor who is the child of a pastor is that almost everyone waits for somebody else to go after the wanderer. They want somebody like me to go after them, and I do go after the wanderers, but, you know, what's much more valuable is the person that actually used to be in a Bible study with them or used to be in a life group. The person who used to be a friend with them and went out for coffee every Tuesday. that's the person who's qualified to do it. And so especially with those that have been in your life, you have a responsibility, and if they won't let you in, you have a responsibility to pray. And I've had some of these people that wouldn't let me in, and so they go to the top of that prayer list. But James is telling us that this is a ministry of the church, that we should not let people wander easily. We should make them choose to say, stay away. We should lovingly seek them out and listen to them and help them. I understand some of the people who wander, we're glad when they're gone. Now, come on. Be honest. There are some people that are trying and troubling. That just means we need to set better boundaries but still seek people out. We need to seek people out and make sure that they don't wander easily. Here's our application suggestions. Number one, make a list of people you know who have wandered from God. We have lists, I hope you do, of people that don't yet know Jesus. I hope you pray over that at least weekly, if not daily. I still have people that I pray for from high school that haven't yet come to Christ, that are on my list. Um, Thankfully, my list has gotten a lot shorter by people coming to Christ, um, and a testimony to its power. But one of the things we need to add is who are the people who have wandered? Who are the people who have wandered astray? Add that and pray for these people and pray for opportunities. Second, well, I already just said second one. Third, ask God if you should contact any of the people on your list. I know that's going to be difficult to decide, but bring God into it and say, is there something I can do? Is there something I can do? Can I make contact with them to try and open up a dialogue to listen to them? Sometimes you say, well, what if this person was disciplined by the church? That's fine. You're not trying to bring them back to church. You're trying to bring them into a dialogue with you to understand what's going on in their life. And finally, if God tells you to do something, I know this shouldn't have to be stated. Obey it. I can't tell you how many times God has gotten me. I've been listening to a sermon. I've been in there. You should do this, Bill. Yes, I should. And then, you know, I go away and I forget it. So I'm just saying if God has done something like that, write it down now. Tell somebody what God has asked you to do. And say, ask me if I've done anything a week from now. (laughs) Let us be people who are concerned about the souls of other people because we so love knowing God ourselves, having the peace the hope, the freedom from shame and forgiveness that he brings, that we want to bring it to anyone who will listen.